0: Coming up next on the Passion Struck podcast.
1: We are powerful beyond measure inside of ourselves, but that power can either be harnessed for good, for strength, for positivity, for impact, or we can be so powerful in a negative direction. We can bring ourselves down. We can weigh ourselves down. We can steal our own ability to accomplish our goals, to summit our own Everest. The 12-hour walk allows us to assess both things, both the good and the bad, and gives you a choice to choose that positivity, to choose that strength, conquer your mind and unlock your best life.
0: Welcome to Passion Struck. Hi, I'm your host, John R. Miles. And on the show, we decipher the secrets, tips, and guidance of the world's most inspiring people and turn their wisdom into practical advice Passion struck. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 171 of Passion Struck. Recently ranked by Apple is one of the top 15 health and fitness podcasts. And thank you to each and every one of you who comes back weekly to listen and learn how to live better, be better, and impact the world. In case you missed my episode from earlier in the week, I interviewed DJ Eagle Bear Vanis, who is an internationally acclaimed speaker for Fortune 500 companies, hundreds of tribal nations, and over 7,000 audiences worldwide. And during our interview, we discussed his new book, which was just released the same day that Collins was on August 2nd, The Warrior Within. And in case you missed my episodes from last week, they included an interview with Kurt Wilkin, who's an entrepreneur, CEO, and author of the new book, Who's Your Mike, which is a great guide to any entrepreneur on the different people that you will meet on your entrepreneurial journey. And additionally, we had on award-winning author, playwright, screenwriter, and director, Abby Morgan, where we discussed. Her hit BBC show Split, as well as her movies The Iron Lady, Suffragette, and we also go into her new book, This Is Not a Pity Memoir. And in case you missed my episode from last week, it was on how do you take responsibility for your actions. Please check all those episodes out. I also wanted to say thank you for your ratings and reviews. If you love today's episode or any of the other ones I just mentioned, we would so appreciate your rating or review because it helps us grow the popularity of this show. And I I know our guests also love to hear from you in those reviews. Now, let's talk about today's amazing guest. Colonel Brady is a 10-time world record-breaking explorer, speaker, entrepreneur, author, and expert on mindset. His feats include the world's first solo, unsupported, and fully human-powered crossing of Antarctica, speed records for the Explorer's Grand Slam and the Seven Summits, and the first human-powered ocean roll across Drake Passage. Collins' highly publicized expeditions have been followed by millions worldwide. He is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Impossible First, and on August 2nd, he just released his new book, The 12 Hour Walk Invest One Day, Conquer Your Mind, and Unlock Your Best Life. We discuss the moment in his life that determined who he is today and his path to becoming a world record breaking explorer, how he came up with the idea for the 12 Hour Walk and its core tenets. What is a possible mindset and the things that allow you to create it, why your whole life is comprised of the will within you, how you develop the belief that anything is possible, the importance of the combination of grit and intentionality in pursuing your Everest, how our lives are really made by strategy and design, the importance of keeping the right company to influence and support your dreams and so much more. Thank you for choosing Passion Struck and choosing me to be your host and guide on your journey to creating an intentional life now. Let that journey begin. I am ecstatic to welcome Colin O'Brady to the Passion Struck Podcast. Welcome, Colin.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I thought I would
0: open us up with a pretty big question. We all have moments that define us. Can you tell us about a moment that shaped your life and who you are today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, that's a great question. Good opening. The first thing that popped into my head, believe it or not, is a story of somewhat tragedy and despair, but a moment that really shaped the trajectory of my life ultimately, which is interesting to think about because I think we think about our low moments as things to avoid. But I found so much that in these deep, dark despair moments, actually you can learn so much. Just after college, didn't have a lot of money, really wanted to travel the world. So I had saved up some money and from painting houses every summer and said, I'm going to travel around the world. Basically hitchhiking around, staying in hostels, surfboard in a backpack, I mean, bumming around shoestring as you can get. But it was a great opportunity as a young person to see a little bit outside the world, because I hadn't had that opportunity as a kid. And uh, my family didn't have those kind of resources when I was growing up. Amazing experience, all until I found myself on a small beach in rural Thailand on a small island. And my 22 year old self saw a flaming jump rope and thought, hey, gee, that looks like a good idea. <laughs> Let me go jump that jump rope. And unfortunately, it changed my entire life. Instant, my life changed. A rope wrapped around my legs and my body lit my Body completely on fire to my neck, and I literally jump into the ocean to save my life, putting out those flames. I won't go too long form. There's so many details to this story. Long story short, I was in the middle of Thailand, and I'm in the Gulf of Thailand, so not even just Thailand, but on a small rural island. So there's no hospital. There was a moped ride down a dirt path. There was eight surgeries that I went through in a one room nursing station, and the doctors ultimately told me, "Hey, look." You will never walk again normally. My legs have been so badly burned. There's some pictures and things you can find online. And it's really bad. So it's interesting when I reflect back on this moment, the physical trauma was horrible. But about day four, day five, the emotional toll of, hey, you're never going to be the same as you were before just hit me like a ton of bricks. I've never felt so depressed, so defeated, so traumatized in my entire life. But The resolution to this story and why I I answered your question that way to start is my mother. My mother changed my life in this moment. She came to my hospital room and I know now she was afraid and crying with the doctors in the hallways, but she never showed me that fear. She instead said, what do you want to do when you get out of here? Let's set a goal. Your life isn't over. You're 22 years old. What do you want to do on the other side of this? I mean, She was just basically incepting with this idea that my life wasn't over. and I now have come and I read about this in my newest book, The 12-Hour Walk, this concept that I now call. Called the possible mindset, which I define as an empowered way of thinking that unlocks a life of limitless possibilities. And she's saying like, Hey, there are limitless possibilities on the other side of this trauma. Who do you want to be? What impact do you want to create? What goals do you want to chase? And the goal that I want to chase in that hospital room, as I said, well, if I could do anything, if you're allowing me to dream without limits, I want to cross the finish line of a triathlon. And she looked down at my bandaged legs, but the doctors tell me I'd never walk again. Normally it'd be pretty reasonable for her to be like, well, I said, set a goal, but let's ground this in reality. But instead she grounded it in limitless possibilities. Again, she said, fine, you want to train for triathlon? Like let's train for triathlon. And literally as I still can't walk, she has a Thai doctor bring in some weights and I start lifting little weights. So I, uh. It takes me a year and a half to learn how to walk again to recover. I'm in a wheelchair for a long time, et cetera. But I eventually towed the start line of the Chicago Triathlon, where I got my first job in Chicago, and I raced the Chicago Triathlon, and I finished the race. And to my complete and utter surprise, I don't just finish the race, but I actually win the entire Chicago Triathlon, placing first out of about five thousand other people. But again, in conclusion, sorry for the long answer. But it was a really important moment in my life, this burn accident, because I look at it as this sliding door moment. Had I leaned into that negativity, all the limiting beliefs I was placing on myself, all the depths of despair, which were totally reasonable given the circumstances, my life would be nothing like it is today. But instead, thank God for my mother saying, hey, there are limitless possibilities. Let's look at this through the lens of a possible mindset and conjure strength and positivity and possibility. And through that, through my darkest moment, I actually learned some of life's greatest lessons. And I now sit here on your podcast, having set 10 world records with those same legs where I was told I would never walk again. But because of in my darkest moment, the ability to learn and evolve and believe in a brighter future, certainly aided by my mom's love and support.
0: Yeah, I think it's such an incredible story. And something in the book that you covered, which made me laugh, was showing up for your job interview. And you have this nice pair of dress slacks, fully pressed. You're looking great. You've got this tie on. And then you notice that you're wearing slippers. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I couldn't wear shoes for a really long time. My legs were badly burned. My feet were even worse. I still have some pretty bad scars on my feet from that. And so, yeah, shoes were just out of the question. I'm trying to get out of my parents' basement. I, you know, I'd got this economics degree. I should go put it to use. And so I take these it's job interview, but I had no thing that I could do other than show up in slippers. And I just was mortified, but also tried to walk in there with the confidence, like I'm still going to get this job. And unfortunately, I don't know if the boss just took pity on me or what. He did give me that job, but it's one of those moments where... Again, this whole book, the Twelve Hour Walk, is really about limiting beliefs we all face. We all face these doubts. I'm no different than any other person walking this planet. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I'm not strong enough. What if I fail? What if I'm criticized? All we've all been there when we constantly go back in these loops. It's human nature, right? But it'd be very easy to say, "Okay, I want to get out of my parents' basement. I want to move on with my life." But I have to wear slippers. Like no one's going to take me serious in the way. You know what? I'm not going to take these interviews. And I'm not saying it was easy. Look, I read about in the book, how mortified I was. This is the moment that I'm in right now. And so I still got to walk there and look the guy in the eye and and shake his hand and explain the situation and hopefully get this job. And so this book, and we'll get into it more, The 12-Hour Walk, is ultimately a one-day prescription where we can shift our mindset from a place of limiting beliefs, of a place of doubt and a place of fear, and through one day, investing one day in yourself there's an ability to have that possible mindset to conjure that ability to shift those limiting beliefs towards possible mindset that I am strong enough. I'm okay. I'm safe outside of my comfort zone because that's where I grow. People might criticize me, but that's part of life and I'm stronger than that. So we'll talk about that. But yeah, it was a funny moment to have to show up for the job interview uh, nonetheless with the uh, slippers on and explain myself.
0: Yeah. Well, I found a quote from Schopenhauer that I thought was appropriate for this interview. And he writes, your whole life is composed of the will within you. And it made me think of this possible mindset that you write about. And I was hoping through that lens, you can discuss what are some of the things that a possible mindset allows you to do with this will that's composed within inside yourself.
1: I love that quote. It's a great question. I want to start by saying, I fundamentally believe this, the most important muscle that any of us have is the six inches between our ears, ultimately our mind, our mindset. We can be physically strong, we can be physically weak, whatever, but that muscle is important to strengthen and cultivate. And that's both a scary thought, but I think it's mostly a positive thought, which is we all have the ability to do this. We actually all have the ability to shift our mindsets, to strengthen our mind. But sometimes we miss the most intuitive step, which is we think, oh, I want bigger biceps. I want to get stronger. Well, I got to go to the gym and lift weight. We know that, right? But we don't think of our mind that way. That's why I say the most important muscle that we have. I say that word very intentionally because you actually, to conjure this mindset, it's not a, I was born with it or I wasn't born with it. I was born with grit. I wasn't born with resilience. I was born with passion. I wasn't, born. no, we are all born with the ability, like you said, to cultivate this will, this resilience, this possible mindset, but you actually have to do something to cultivate it. And that's why I'm so passionate about this book and this concept, the 12 hour walk, because at its core, I'm sharing a one day prescription. I'll get into what it is, but basically is I am saying, take one day, turn your phone on airplane mode, cost you nothing, walk out your front door and take a 12 hour walk. Now you're probably thinking, oh my God, that's, that's crazy. That's ridiculous. I have to train forever for that. It's not a physical challenge. Actually, I don't care if you walk for one mile or you walk for 50 miles. I don't care how many breaks you take, but the exercise is in training your mind. It's actually saying, turn off your social media for a day, put your phone in airplane mode. Don't take podcasts or music or a friend or your dog. Be alone with your thoughts for 12 hours, one single day. And the reason that's so powerful, the origin story goes back to my time in Antarctica, which we certainly can talk about walking across the continent alone. But what I realized is from anyone's front door with no cost, other than the time it takes you for 12 hours to commit to this. We go from just learning about, oh, there's this thing I can shift my mindset, inspirational quotes in a book, good advice that someone gave me or not, to actually feeling these lessons, to actually cultivating and working on that muscle of your mind. You might be hearing this for the first time of what the 12-hour walk is. For me, it's more than a book. It's a global movement. I'm hoping to inspire 10 million people to take this 12-hour walk. It's a free thing. Anyone can do it anywhere in the world. But- The reason I'm passionate about it is because it gives us this ability to actually make change and make change quickly. I believe you can unlock your best life on the other side of it. Because all of a sudden, right now I'm saying this to you, there might be limiting beliefs popping up in your head. I'm guessing on the other side of this podcast interview, you're saying, well, I'd love to do that, but I've got a busy job. When would I ever find 12 hours? I don't have the time for this. I've got kids. I've got responsibilities. Or I'm not in good physical shape enough for this. Or I don't like being uncomfortable. My feet might hurt at the end of this. But if you realize the loop, your natural tendency to react to this Those limiting beliefs that you are assigning the 12-hour walk in this moment that you're first hearing this are most likely the same limiting beliefs that you're assigning to many other things in your life. The same limiting beliefs that are ultimately holding you back from unlocking your best life. So the 12-hour walk is an exercise. It is a challenge that takes one day, even a half a day, 12 hours. But it's also a mirror. I'm holding up a mirror to you to look into and go, oh, Where is this negative limiting beliefs coming up over and over in other elements of my life? But when you commit to the walk by saying, I'm actually going to be doing this by joining this global movement, 12hourwalk.com, you can sign up. Like I said, it's free. Anyone can do this. Anyone can participate from anywhere. You all of a sudden- Take the momentum away from the limiting beliefs and go towards a possible mindset. On the other side of this 12-hour walk, you start to go, oh, I do have enough time. I just need to prioritize my time effectively. Oh, money is abundant and I can have it too. I can cultivate abundance in my life. There's a whole chapter on that in this book and how this walk can play a role in that. I can tap into my intuition. I am strong enough. You know what? I thought I might fail, but I completed this. I'm not afraid of failure anymore. I realize I might have setbacks along the way. Hopefully you don't get burned in a fire, but from setbacks, just like I did, you can learn life's greatest lessons. So ultimately, on the other side of that, in just one day, you can not just read a book. I hope you read the book. I think there's a lot of great wisdom in there. But more importantly, what I care even more about is you having this experience, committing to it, putting that one day on the calendar. And I promise you, the person you are on the other side, walking back in your front door will be one that is full of a possible mindset rather than full of limiting beliefs.
0: Well, you're stealing many of my questions. (laughs) But I've got a ton for you. So I did want to put this up for the audience so they can see the book. I did want to ask, especially if someone is listening and not watching this on YouTube, which you can on YouTube at John R. Miles. But anyway, how did you come up with the amazing cover that's on the book?
1: That's a very good question. My incredible wife and dear friend and colleague and collaborator, Blake Brinker. So my wife, Jenna Besaw and Blake came up with the cover idea. They're both just, they're my dearest friends, of course, my wife, but also business partners, colleagues. And we really wanted the cover to pop. We really wanted people to feel a part of this global movement and really to feel like it could be anyone. I'm the silhouette in the logo. You know, there's a lot of personal development books. I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone. A lot of people with their face right up in center. And there's, I guess I think there's even some research Church that says people are more responsive to a face on a cover or something like this. But although it's me silhouetted in the walk, to me, I put it there as a way to say like, this is for everyone. This is not a book about me. There's, there's stories from my life that I'm sharing of you, but I'm not the hero of this story. You listening, you reading, you are the hero of this story. And so the 12-hour walk is something we all can have ownership of. It's an idea that I'm excited to share and proliferate but I hope that it, it goes that you take the 12 hour walk and then you sit down at your dinner table and you share it with your mother or your father or your best friend or your spouse or something like this. And it becomes, has a life of its own because to me, this is my way of sharing something that I think could have such a positive impact in the world. So thank you for the kind words on the cover. I'll pass that along to my wife and Blake because they did an, an amazing job designing it, but more so the symbology is not that. And also the color gradient is about the effect of a day, right? It starts at sunrise and then it comes. Kind of of fades into an evening night and kind of taking people through the course of that day. And what I think is so interesting about time this is a little bit away from the cover, but is in that color gradient thinking about a day is we think about, wow, 12 hours. Like that's first people usually think that's so long, right? That's so long, 12 hours, is so long. But then you start thinking like, that's so short. I'm like, you can have this massive transformation in just 12 hours in one day by investing one day. It's very powerful to look at it through that lens. And so I write, as you know, from reading the book, a whole chapter on time and time is an interesting thing. You start to look at how much time I'm guilty of this too. I've spent scrolling my social media feed or doing things that aren't super productive, whatever. This is a very productive 12 hours that really leans beautiful results. And so the cover really leans to saying like, Hey, It's just one day. And in one day, from sunup to sundown, you can feel like an completely different person by taking on this challenge right out your front door.
0: We'll be right back to my interview with Colin O'Brady. Whenever I talk to my listeners, one thing always comes up, money they don't want to have to worry about inflation, volatility, and stock market losses. They just want to know that their money is working for them so they can continue chasing their passion. But how do you do that when inflation is slicing through your savings? and major stock indexes are down 20 to 25%. Bank of America's chief investment strategist recommends looking at real assets like fine art. A New York Times interview this summer even said, when stock markets take a nosedive, people look to invest in art. It's more tangible. For most of us, owning multi-million dollar art is a nice thought, but too pricey to commit to. That's why Masterworks wants to open up access to the $1.7 trillion art and collectible market without the hefty price tag. They offer investments in paintings from legends like Picasso and Bansky. This way, you can diversify outside of the stock market and help hedge against inflation without breaking the bank. And the best part? I've partnered with Masterworks to get my listeners priority access so you can skip their waitlist. Just go to masterworks.com, promo code PASSION. That's masterworks.com, promo code PASSION. See important regulation A disclosures at masterworks.io slash cd. One more time, masterworks.com, promo code PASSION. And I realize that all these advertiser codes can be difficult to remember, so we put them in one convenient place at passionstruck.com slash deals. Please consider supporting those who support this podcast and make it free for you our listeners. Now, back to my interview with Colin O'Brady. Every year, I try to do challenges myself. And earlier this year, in March, I did David Goggins 4x4x48 challenge. And I remember when I was asked to do it, the parameters of it made sense. But then I did it with a bunch of veterans like myself. And we ended up camping out on my friend's ranch, and we slept in teepees. And then he put an additional thing on it that the only thing we would have to eat during our time there was bone broth. Hmm. When you're thinking about something like that, you're like, boy, this is gonna be extremely uncomfortable. And you have all these impulses that go through your head. And it got me to thinking about, was you were walking across Antarctica and you have just your thoughts in your mind. There are all these impulses that are going on. Probably you're wanting to quit. It's cold out. It's all these things. But I wanted to ask, why should we not eradicate the impulses that make us human, but instead try to understand them and use them as a way to propel us?
1: Yeah, so… One question I get a lot, obviously from the adventures that I've done, carry with them a lot of risk, right? So I've, uh, you know, summited Mount Everest twice. I write in the book about a tragedy where I lost five friends in a really bad climbing accident on K2. The stakes are real. A few years before I completed my solo crossing of Antarctica, becoming the first person to make that crossing, a guy who's very experienced, who I highly respect, spent 71 days attempting this crossing and ultimately he fell ill and died. And so a question I get a lot is, do you have a death wish, Colin? Or do you have these crazy impulses towards just like, is this a suicide mission? And I've been asked the question so many times that I've really had to think about what's my answer to that question. And as I think about it, my answer is the last thing I want to do is die. For me in this book, I'm so blessed to have this incredible wife and family and amazing people in my life. I love being alive. And I'm not, I definitely am not trying to die, but my biggest fear, my actual biggest fear is not living, is not fully living. So I've come to think about life on a scale of one to 10, one being your lowest low moments and 10 being your highest highs, right? As I reach the summit of Mount Everest or I finish this Antarctica crossing or I fall in love with my wife or other, I mean, these 10 moments, what I've come to realize is those 10s I didn't get there in spite of the ones I actually got there because of the ones. I got to that elation on the other side of the frozen continent because I was willing to feel minus minus seven degrees. I was willing to be alone for two months by myself without talking. to anyone, pulling a 375 pound. I had so many low moments, just like in the opening of this interview, I got to this moment of learning about myself through the lowest one ever being burned with no skin on the lower half of my body being told I would never walk again normally. Right. And so what I come to realize when I kind of had that realization, it said, wow, I can get to these tens, but by only being willing to experience the ones. Now, I think in our modern society, we are too often, most people are caught between four and six, what I call the zone of comfortable complacency where it's just kind of like, eh, it's good. Like I have a job, it pays the bills, but I'm not that passionate about it. I'm not that excited to get out of bed and every morning. If something good happens, it's like fine. If something bad happens, it's like fine because I'm just not that engaged with life. You now I've got my basic needs taken care of, a roof over my head, et cetera, but I'm not feeling that like lit up by life. And we settled there. We settle in this zone of comfortable complacency. It was harder to settle there in times hundreds of years ago where there was more flight or flight or you had to go hunt for your food or there's different things. But in our modern society, it's pretty easy to just kind of sit in that comfort zone.
0: Get ready to supercharge your hiring experience with Indeed, our fantastic partner. We at PassionStruck are all about seeking smarter, more efficient ways to do things,
1: And what I've realized is, why are, I've asked myself, well, why are people in that, in that zone? And it's because I found in, in talking to and interviewing so many people, my Instagram audience, et cetera, is because they're hedging against the ones. They're saying, I am so afraid of having some sort of setback or taking on any kind of risk in my life that I'm unwilling to experience ones. And the second you do that, you also close off your possibility to experience the 10s because you don't let the entire pendulum swing the full peak arc of life. And so again, your question about impulses is, I'm guessing by you brought up the four by four by 48 with your friends and colleagues with that, that it was hard, that your feet got tired, that you felt sleep deprived, that you wanted something to eat more than bone broth. But here we are six months later and you're thinking, you know what? That was a great experience. I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I suffered through some long nights and pushed it because you know what? I I learned something about myself. I built, I grew, and I'm also guessing, I'm projecting now, but I'd love to hear your answer, that on hour 48, when you got to that finish line, you were more towards that 10, that higher end of the spectrum, proud of what you accomplished, proud of pushing through camaraderie and brotherhood with the guys you did it with,
0: right? Oh, absolutely. But you're right. You get into segment four or segment five, and you start getting blisters on your feet. Your legs are starting to tire. At this point, I'm working off of two hours of sleep because, in addition to that, we had Native American elders who banged on drums all night long. So even when you could sleep, it was virtually impossible to sleep, wow. <laughs> which made it another interesting <laughs> but fun twist. But you're right. You just keep looking towards the future. And I just, took the next step and then the next step. And I think from my time in the military, other people I've served with, people like you, it's taking that intentional next step and taking action instead of thinking about the next 24 hours is what's going to get you to the end. I know talking to many of my friends who've gone to Bud's, they tell me, if you think about getting through all of Bud's, you're never going to make it they said, we are just trying to get through this next hour. Can we make it to the next meal? Can we make it to this point where we get out of these cold clothes and we can do something else? And I think so much about life is like that. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but I think putting yourself through these challenges, whether it's a four by four by 48 or this 12 hour walk is a great way for you to do something that we don't get to do very much today, which is be inside your own head and make sense of what's going on in your life. Because I think that's where you start confronting these different fears that you lay out in the book.
1: No, absolutely. And I love what you said about what call it taking the next step or incremental goal setting. I have for many years carried this small little rock in my pocket with me for the past five years or so. When I summited Everest for the first time in 2016, I took a small little pebble with me from the summit. It's a tiny, tiniest little rock. And I carried around with me as this reminder that Mount Everest, the large, literally the largest mountain in the world, the highest mountain in the world, is actually comprised of a bunch of small, tiny rocks stacked on top of each other. I'm fond of framing people's goals and asking. I ask it in the first chapter of this book for people to intentionally define. Well, what's your Everest? I dared to dream, and that was my childhood dream. If I one day wanted to climb Mount Everest, I always dreamed about it since I was a little kid. But I don't assume that everyone has the same dream. We all have different dreams, different passions, different goals. But that question, what is your Everest? And then realizing when you dare to dream this big goal, when you have that possible mindset that says, Hey, I want to get to the start line. I want to finish a triathlon, but I'm in a bed being burned. Just like you said, with buds, the whole, the totality of that goal can feel overwhelming. Mount Everest, the summit can feel too far. And so you give up on the first day or the second day. Cause you're like, well, I'm never going to get there. But the same way I climbed Mount Everest is I just stacked those tiny little rocks. I took one step, one day, kept building towards the future. And eventually those tiny little steps, those tiny little rocks, they stack up and they reach the summit. Or when I was burning that fire, I was into my mother's kitchen in a hospital. And uh, having just got left the Thai hospital, I've got my legs burned. My legs are bandaged. And my mom looks at me, I'm sitting in a wheelchair. She goes, hey, Colin, you want to race a triathlon? Great. I believe in you. Today, your goal, your only thing you have to do today is figure out how to get out of your wheelchair and sit in the chair in front of you. She took a wooden chair from our kitchen table and placed it one step in front of my wheelchair. We're talking about racing a triathlon. We're talking about going miles and miles and miles on these legs. And she finally just says to me, today, you have no other thing that you need to do. And it took me three hours. I stared at that wooden chair, looked down at my legs. They were atrophied. They were the size of my wrists. You know, They've been burnt and bandaged. And I finally got up and took one step in that chair. But my mom, the next day, she goes, that was great. She moved the chair five steps away. She moved the chair 10 steps away. And to your point, those five steps, those 10 steps, those 20 steps, those learning, the day by day, the stacking of those rocks ultimately led up to the final conclusion many months later. So all of these large goals, they are built. BUDS is an extraordinary example of what the Navy SEALs, they go through in the training. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. And I've heard the same things, right? For people just breaking it down. So I love that. And I couldn't agree more, my friend.
0: Yes, well, I think we all have choices, but oftentimes the most difficult choice to make is the choice to actually start or do something about overcoming your fear or about chasing that Everest. And I'm going to use that as a segue because in chapter four, you bring up the mantra I am versus I am not. And I wanted to ask why do game changing leaders, creators, and athletes not wait? until they're at the top of their fields to own that identity and begin the process. And what is your recommendation for listeners to put that into practice in their own lives?
1: It's so important, right? It not giving away too much of the book, but one of the other world records that I said is I was the first person in history to row a boat across Drake Passage. That's the most dangerous ocean crossing in the world. It had never been crossed in a fully human powered vessel. So no sail, no motor, just me and a couple of buddies, literally rowing a tiny little rowboat across ocean with 40 foot swells and icebergs and killer whales and the whole deal. I mean, it was a crazy adventure, not get too far into that. But when I set my sights on that and I started telling people, I'm going to row my boat across this thing. One question kept coming up over and over again. People were like, oh, I didn't realize you were such an accomplished rower. I didn't <laughs> realize that you've been like rowing boats like your whole life. And I looked at them. And I was like, no, I've actually never rowed a boat anywhere. Like what do, you, what do you mean everywhere? Like, no, I've never been on a rowboat before. I've never rowed a boat in college. I've never been at summer camp rowing. But I've never rowed a boat. And People were like, wait, so when are you doing this rowing project? I'm like, I'm doing it in three months. Now, The cynic says, well, that just sounds very reckless, but that's not the way I look at it. The possible mindset says, I am not a rower, but applies one important word, yet. I am not a rower yet. And that yet changes the entire sentence to say, I haven't learned this thing yet. But I am fully capable of learning this. Carol Dweck teaches us in the book Mindset, one of my favorite books, right? About the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. The, the fixed mindset says, I am not a rower, period. I am not a runner, period. I am not a business person, period. I am not good at math. I'm not, I am not this. And that the period ends there. But the growth mindset says, I'm not a rower yet. I am not fill in the blank yet. I can grow. I can evolve. I can learn. So chapter four of this book that I tell a funny story about actually learning to row and falling off a rowboat in my very first stroke and falling on my face three months before I attempt to row across the most dangerous ocean crossing. But the difference in mentality, and I have studied high performers just as you have, is that every single person I write about this in the book that gets to the top of their field weren't an expert when they started. There was a day when Kobe Bryant dribbled a basketball for the very first time. There was a day when Meryl Streep tried out for her school play. There was a day when Stephen King, who has written 64 novels at this point, all bestsellers, literally sat down in front of his computer and penned his first essay. And in those moments, those high performers, what do they all have in common? They did not wait to be an expert, to claim this as their identity. Meryl Streep says, I'm an actress. Kobe Bryant said, I'm a basketball player. Stephen King said, I'm an author. Before they were who we think of them are as these prolific game-changing artists and, and folks in the world, right? But we all, every single person listening to this has the capacity to do this, has the capacity to shift that mindset and either add that word yet to the end of a statement if you still want to say i'm not this i am not a blank yet or even better you can just shift that to say go for a little jog you never run this is a silly example you never run before in your life okay right now right now let's drop put this podcast down and jog one block around your house it'll take you 30 seconds probably you know, a minute maybe now you're a runner you're a runner you are a runner are you a world record breaking marathon runner sure not yet but you're a runner. You can own that identity. And the shift in our psyche, the shift in our mindset, that possible mindset knows the difference between it because that subtle subconscious eating away of I'm not this, I'm an imposter. I can't, this changes everything. And the 12 hour walk, I think there's very few people on this planet. And that's why I love this exercise for people. The 12 hour walk is accessible. The 12 hour walk any person can do. Cause I said, it's not a race. It's not about how far you go. But most likely 99.9% of the planet aren't 12-hour walkers yet. You are not a 12-hour walker yet. But the second you go like, but could I do that? That like your curiosity is peaked. Is this going to have an outsized impact on my life? You put it on your calendar for next Saturday. You sign up on the website. You do it. You complete it. You get an email from me that says, congratulations. You are a 12-hour walk finisher. You are that. No one can take that away from you. And the reason that's important is the 12 hour walk is a fill in for all of the other things that you're telling yourself right now that you aren't and proves to yourself that you can do something different, that you can do something new, that you can step outside of your comfort zone. And all of a sudden you are a 12 hour walk finisher. Well, if you're that, what other things are you not yet? Or what other things are you going to become in your future with this new mindset that you can learn, you can evolve, you can grow. And it, to me, that is at its core of high performance growth, getting out of our own way, setting aside those limiting beliefs is reframing our mindset into what we can become.
0: I love that you brought up Carol Dweck's book, because I think it's great. And another one I think is great is Grit by Angela Duckworth. And you mentioned grit a lot in the book. And as I was reading her book and being a Naval Academy grad, she starts out, if you haven't read it, about West Point. And she uses that as, this is the reason why people graduate from West Point is because of this passion and perseverance they have. And I started thinking about it about 18 months ago. And as I look back, you can have passion and perseverance, but I think there's one missing ingredient, and you've been alluding to it this whole entire conversation, and that is intention. If you are not intentional about where you are putting that passion and perseverance you're not going to accomplish your goal. So if you have an Everest out there or even a small goal, if you're not being intentional about the choices that you're making that allow you to take that grit that you have and push it towards that intention, you're not going to achieve it in my mind. I'm not sure what your thoughts are about that.
1: No, totally. I love Angela Duckworth. Incredible book. It's huge influence on me. Angela was kind enough actually to blurb my last book, The Impossible First. Her name is on the cover. Pull quote. She asked me to lecture in her class last year at Penn. So I've gotten to know her a little bit and she's just her research and just her whole mindset and her book is just incredible. So if you haven't checked that book out, highly recommend it. It's had a big influence on me. And I agree exactly with her thesis, what she talks about with West Point, all the other case studies she brings in, which is so much of success is about this sort of intangible thing that she calls and we call grit, right? But I also like what you bring in around intention, because I think there's two things. One, I love to frame this question. I'll bring it up again. I've already said it, which is what's your Everest? What's your big goal? What are your hopes? What are your dreams? Usually people have an answer to that. Sometimes people don't want to share that because they think, oh, my Everest is silly, or I don't want to share this with the world. But usually you have an answer to that. And if you do, It doesn't, the first of all, it doesn't matter what it is. It's like you said, it's just about having that intention towards it and saying, Great, this is what my hopes and dreams are. This is why I want to accomplish it. And giving that air, giving that oxygen, speaking it out loud, writing it down in your journal. My Everest is blank. The last page of the first chapter of this book, I invite people before taking a step further in this book to have that intention so they can frame the rest of the lessons in the book around that. But I do want to acknowledge because I've gotten this feedback, and I write about it a little in the book, and it's important. There are a lot of people, or some amount of people, that don't have a ready answer to that question. Who go, I don't know what my Everest is. Is there something wrong with me? Is that a problem? If I don't have an Everest, should I just set your book down? Can I not gain anything from this? And so, what I've come to realize is. That exploration, that curiosity is also a beautiful thing. So if you find yourself in that space, I know I want something more out of life, but I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know what my Everest is. The 12 hour walk is a powerful lesson. So I say, great, here's your Everest. My Everest is to figure out what my Everest is. That's my Everest. That's the goal. 12 hours in silence with no podcast, no music, listening to your intuition, tapping into your inner voice. I promise you, if you walk out the door with the sole exploration and curiosity in your mind is I want to make a change in my life. I want to unlock my best life. I can do that on the other side of this 12 hour walk, but I don't know what to put my intention or my grit or my resilience or my perseverance toward. Just ask yourself that as a leading question. My Everest is to figure out on this walk what my Everest is. And the reason I'm so clearly I'm very passionate about this 12-hour walk idea is with those all sorts of just big goals and starting a business or for you, the stuff you've done, podcasts, being in the military, this, these things take multiple steps, multiple years, multiple iterations. And I think some of the most rich experiences in my life have been that way. Crossing Antarctica wasn't just the 54 days alone on the ice, but it was dreaming about it and planning about it and training for it and figuring it out, raising the money for all these different steps that go into this. The reason I'm passionate about the 12-hour walk is that I can encapsulate what it is in one sentence. You understand what it is. Put your phone in airplane mode, walk outside your door, be alone for 12 hours, period, right? And the intention there, to your point about grit, is it gives a single thing to focus on for that period of time an idea, an intention, a prescription, so to speak, that is very digestible. Because in our modern world, Again, I'm guilty of all this. We get pulled in a million directions. Our phone rings, our phone dings, this notification comes on, someone walks in the room, says this to us. We in this modern society, our brains are going in a million different directions, which actually takes away from our inner strength. And to your point about grit, our ability, like you can be gritty to get through your day, but if your day is answering 900 different emails and picking up your phone and texting back these five people and dropping the kids off and doing this, whatever, your energy gets sort of spent in these 1% increments in all these different places. Now, again, that's life. So I'm not trying to say now be a monk and don't do those things. Of course, that is life. My life looks just like that. But taking a day to reset from that and to reevaluate that and to check in with yourself over the course of 12 hours will allow you when you enter This is not about being a hermit. This is about thriving in the real world. This is about then turning your phone back on and being a productive member of society on the other side of this walk. But the walk will give you an opportunity to reset your priorities in and around that. And to your point, and I know it's something you're passionate about on this podcast, set the intention about where you want to spend your energy because you have it. You have that inner strength, but it can get so diluted with all these various different have-tos popping up in your day. And the 12-hour walk is a great reset towards that intentionality. And when you conjure that grit, that resilience, that perseverance in a singular direction towards passion, there is so much to be gained and so much that you can grow from.
0: I love that you say during this walk, take away all the distractions, because I think that is exactly what prevents so many people from discovering their Everest, as you're talking about, because they don't really sit with what's going on inside of them. Because it's not comfortable. Let's face it, all of us have fears and uncertainties and challenges and other things, and this feeling of comfort that we have in our lives. But until you get rid of that noise, you're not going to deal with any of it. So I love that you brought that up. And I'm going to use the fact that you know Angela to ask a follow on question on this. Next week, I'm actually putting out a podcast with her co founder of the Behavioral Change for Good initiative. Dr. Katie Milkman, who's a professor at Wharton, and one of the leading behavioral scientists in the world, like Angela. And I also interviewed former WNBA player, Ann O'Neill. And something that you mentioned in chapter 12 of the book around, I don't have what it takes, coincided with Katie's book and something that Anne's Iowa State University coach, Bill Fenerty, taught her. And that is winning in basketball and in life is strategy by design which is matching your approach to your opponent, which oftentimes your biggest opponent is yourself. And have you found throughout your expeditions that this is true?
1: My biggest opponent being myself, 100%. I think it's definitely about having the right strategy. It's about having the right opponent. I'll I'll tell you a story. So when I arrived to Antarctica and getting dropped off from the edge of the frozen continent, And I'm about to attempt this historic crossing that no one's ever done. I took a bunch of interviews before I kind of told the world I was hoping to do this thing. And there was another guy actually attempting this crossing at the very same time, this guy by the name of Captain Lou Rudd. So it wasn't just racing history now. Now I'm in a side by side, shoulder to shoulder race with one of the most intimidating guys. He's a British special forces military guy, very prolific polar explorer, super strong, accomplished. And I'll be honest, I was pretty intimidated, but I still was like, okay, I'm fine. I'm confident. You know, me conjure my strength. My sled's 375 pounds and that's because I was doing something called unsupported. So I needed enough food and fuel to sustain myself without anyone giving me resupplies um, while I'm out there. And so that ended up being 375 pounds and that's not even enough to have enough calories. So I know I'm going to burn 10,000 calories per day and I'm only going to be carrying about 7,000 calories per day, which means on day one, I'm already operating on a 3,000 calorie deficit. And I know by the end, I'm going to be a bag of bones, hips sticking out, ribs sticking out. I'm going to be in pretty rough shape. I've planned for all of this. You know, I strategized. I literally said, "Okay, here's the plan. Here's the spreadsheet. Here's how far I need to walk every day." I kind of worked through it. So I'm trying to stay positive. I get dropped off and I start pulling my sled. I should say I start trying to pulling my sled. This is day one, hour one. I can't pull my sled. I literally can't pull my sled like ten feet and it stops. And I, of course, I knew 375 pounds was going to be heavy, and I figured I'd be able to move slowly. I literally can't pull it, and I start crying. I literally start crying. But what happens when you cry and it's minus 25, minus 30 degrees outside Antarctica, the tears, they actually start freezing to your face. I have this sad video of myself where there's frozen tears attached to my face. And in this moment, you start thinking, but I strategized against Antarctica. I figured it out. I spreadsheeted it. I made my sled this. Like I thought that was my opponent. And don't get me wrong, over the next 54 days alone, Antarctica certainly was a very, very worthy opponent. But what I quickly realized, I remember, I went to bed that night and I woke up in my tent. And I always joke. I say, "Well, who was in that tent with me?" And some people were like, "Wait, did Captain Luke get in your tent with you?" You know, I'm like, "No, no, no. He was kicking my ass. He went off. He wasn't having a trouble pulling his sled, and he pulled into the lead of this race early on. And then for a long time, it looked like he was just going to kick my butt. But no, who was in that tent with me that first morning? Me." all of the most negative versions of myself, every limiting belief. I don't have what it takes. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fit enough. You told the whole world this, look how embarrassing this people are going to criticize you. I thought maybe you're going to fail on the 40th day. You failed on the first day, right? And all of a sudden I quickly realized to your point that my biggest opponent was myself, my own psyche, my own inner demons, my own inner thoughts. And that's true so much for almost every single person walking this planet, even people that you might look you know, on the outside of, oh, that guy's wealthy or, or she's super successful in this or that. The other thing, I'll tell you what, us humans, we are walking around generally with a high level of self-doubt, but you can either look at that and go, there's something wrong with me. I'm having these doubts. or You can say that's part of the human experience, but I get to control that. I get to be aware of that and control that. I believe fundamentally that we are the stories that we tell ourselves. I'll say that again. We are the stories that we tell ourselves. And so in that moment, in that tent, fighting my own self, I had to fight back. I had to have an offensive against my own inner demons. And so I actually stood up and yelled out to the Antarctic warning. I yelled at the top of my lungs out loud Colin, you are strong. You are capable. You are strong. You are capable outside out loud. I was verbalizing this because I was fighting against my own self and using those worlds to conjure that. So a little bit of a tangent, but again, the 12 hour walk allows us to do this part of the discomfort of the 12 hour walk. Part of me saying, yes, no, no podcast, no music, It's silent, stillness, sure. If you live in a city, I'm not saying don't let a car drive past you or if someone walks past you on the street and says, hello, that's fine. But you're not engaging with the world. You're letting the own solitude of your own inner thoughts go. And what will happen through parts of this is you might get into some dark paces. You might get into some deeper corners of your mind. I've tested this with lots of friends and family members and I'm launching this. Like I said, hopefully 10 million people do this. And what I found is people say there is a point hour one, hour two, hour three, because our minds aren't used to this. It starts to get, wait, 12 hours is too long, or my feet already hurt. Or I had that argument with my boss yesterday. And you start, you know, so you start arguing with your boss in your own head. We know that feeling, right? You're having an argument with somebody else who's not even there. And you're like, well, I should have said this and that, right? That's normal. We start to see what's in there and that's uncomfortable. But more often than not, hour nine, hour 10, hour 11, even as the discomfort, physical discomfort is coming high. This happened to me at the end of my Antarctica crossing. All of a sudden, peace and calm and stillness and your ability to be aware and rewrite those stories, letting go of some silly argument that you're having with your boss because it's just not serving you or him or her letting go of this negativity in your mind because that limiting belief, that place of fear, that operation of limiting belief and fear starts to dissipate. And at the end of this walk, that possible mindset starts to build and starts to build and starts to give you power. And on the other side of that, the ability to unlock your own best self, your own best life. So yes, long answer, I apologize, but we are battling ourselves. That is our biggest enemy, but also our biggest strength. We are powerful beyond measure inside of ourselves, but that power can either be harnessed for good, for strength, for positivity, for impact, or we can be so powerful in a negative direction. We can bring ourselves down. We can weigh ourselves down. We can steal our own ability to accomplish our goals, to summit our own Everest. And so the 12-hour walk allows us to assess both things, both the good and the bad, and gives you a choice. To choose that positivity, to choose that strength, conquer your mind and unlock your best life.
0: I'm glad you brought chapter seven to the audience because it was one of my favorites from the book. And I was going to ask you a question about how do you overcome uncertainty and failure, which you just answered. So I thought that was great. I did want to ask a follow on question. You brought up Captain Lou, Lewis Rudd, who seems to be a badass. If you look at his resume and some of the things that he has accomplished, How did him being out there at the same time you were there, and I will mention, he did finish it as well two days behind you, but how did that impact your psyche? Did knowing he was there help push you along? 100%
1: 100% Captain Lou and I have had this interesting history are literally in the annals of polar history. We're now forever connected to having this race across Antarctica, this thing that no one had ever accomplished in human history. And as you said, I did pass him and I'm proud of being first, but he finished a couple of days later. And I actually elected to wait for him at the finish line before having the plane come pick us up in this remote edge of Antarctica. Because although the intensity and the tenacity and both of our will to win this race was very high for both of us. In the end, what I was mostly left with was there's 7 billion, 8 billion people on this planet. And there's one other human who knows what we went through out there and it's him. And yeah, he finished two days behind me, but it's an incredible accomplishment for both of us to have survived and made it across this. And What I was left with, and we still stay in touch to this day, there's a genuine love, camaraderie, compassion for one another. And it's fun when we get to meet up and have a cup of tea or or catch up with one another because we have this common ground. And what we've both been able to say to each other in our more vulnerable moments, both of us obviously have this intense competitiveness with one another, but in our more vulnerable moments, when we set that all aside, we've both acknowledged myself for sure that we both agree. And he said this publicly as well. That we don't think either one of us would have made it to the other side had the other person not been there. Which is interesting because when I found out he was making this crossing at the same time as me, I had been planning to race history to race myself, but all of a sudden I'm racing a human being and he kicks my ass at so the first day. I'm pretty quickly like, man, like so negative in my own mind. But what's interesting is again, and that could have crushed me. That could have been it. I mean, I was very close to giving up in those first few days, literally just calling and being, well, he's going to kick my butt and I, I have no chance and I can't pull my sled and that's it. But what I found is in the end, he gave me strength. What I mean by that is the competition, the fierceness and the, the respect that I have for him actually gave me the ability to say, if I don't get out of bed today and pull my sled for 12 hours, but he does, he's going to gain further. It's storming. I don't want to go out there. It's minus 70 wind chill with the blazing headwind of 50 mile per hour in this whiteout. I couldn't, no human could possibly go out in this condition. And I think, to, I imagine Captain Lou out there gritting his teeth and going for it. And with all of these really tough moments when it would have been so easy to say, oh, let me lie in my tent for, for one hour longer. Let me take a half day off. Let me take a day off. But I would have been eating food. And because I couldn't take enough food with me to make it across the crossing, I was on my last bite of food when I completed the crossing and I didn't take a single day off. I pulled my sled 12 hours per day, every single day for 54 days straight, which means that if I had made some decisions on day five or day 10 or day 20 to kind of pull back the gas a little bit, I wouldn't have made it. And so to me, it's a heartfelt acknowledgement to say, I made it across this because of Captain Lou, because of that competition. And I think it's a beautiful thing. I mean, we see this in business too. You don't want your competition, but there's a reason that in our country, we try to not have monopolies, which is a monopoly just takes advantage of people and it's too easy and they mail it in. But when you have a fierce competitor in a marketplace or in a sporting competition or in life in any capacity... The, the positive byproduct of that is it brings out the absolute best in you, and it makes you in a headspace of innovation and creativity and grit and resilience and perseverance that gets you out of bed when it's hard and keeps pushing you forward. And it certainly was the case for me with Captain Lou.
0: Yeah, I think you're breaking up a great point. What would Dell be if there wasn't IBM or HP, or what would Coke be without Pepsi? Right. Uh, sometimes those competitions bring out the best in you and I also think this alludes to something you bring up in chapter nine, and I'm not going to dive into it, so we give the listener something to read, but it's all about the need to pick and surround yourselves with the right people. And obviously, when it came to Antarctica, having Captain Lou there was one of those people that helped inspire you. And I have to tell you, I would love to see a keynote sometime that you two could do together because Hmm. hearing both of your perspectives, I think, would be something... I would pay money to hear. I'm sure others would too. Another person, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, that I think would be a great combo keynote would be Jen Bricker Bauer. I had Jen on the podcast earlier this year, if you're not familiar with her, Colin. She was born without legs, was told she should never be able to sit up. She'd never be able to, to do anything in life. But her parents taught her from a very young age that anything is possible. She ends up going on to win against able body competitors, the state championship in Illinois and tumbling. And now she's performing all around the world as an aerialist and wrote a New York Times bestselling book similar to you called Anything is Possible. And I think before we get to this interview, you two are both incredible examples of how anything is possible. But how, if you're sitting here listening to this, do you develop that mindset?
1: Yeah. I've never met her. I've heard bits and pieces of her story. I'd love to hear her speak and read her book. What an incredible inspiration. And you mentioned there for briefly her parents kind of incepting her with this belief. So if anything is possible, certainly my mother is hugely responsible as well as the other kind of tribe of family and, and influences I had in my young life definitely had a big impact, but that doesn't mean, Oh, you're blessed with good parents or bad parents, whatever. So if, if you either got lucky or you didn't like, doesn't matter where you're sitting at in your life right now. Right. We are where we are. We can't change the past, but we definitely can change and forge forward. I don't say this as a, a shameless continual plug for this book or this global movement, but that question, and it's such a good question you asked. I've spent a lot of time, i like, proud of my last book that was a New York Times bestseller recounting the full Antarctica journey, etc. Spent lots of times on stages sharing these stories with people about things I've accomplished in my life. And the one thing that I felt was missing was this answer to this question. I have all sorts of advice and wisdom and things I can share with people of how they can do this in their own lives that I feel deeply passionate about. But the 12-hour walk, the idea of the 12-hour walk, an actual tangible take-home was my answer. And again, it was self-prescribed, just trying to get myself out of a rut during COVID. But there was this aha moment of like, this is the thing. This is the thing that I can't say to everyone. You can cultivate grit and resilience. Fly down to Antarctica and pull a 375 pound sled by yourself across the continent. You'll be a different person on the other side. I mean, that's just unrealistic. And to be honest, not most people would ever want to do that. And I don't blame them for not wanting to do that. So the 12-hour walk is this tool that is built to be as accessible as absolutely possible for any person, any place in the world. You don't have to wait to be on vacation in some beautiful place. I highly recommend you doing this from the front door of your house. Why? Because... The next day you wake up and you're in your normal routine and normal life, all the things around your neighborhood and your block and your city and your town where you live are going to imprint. You're going to cross an intersection five miles away from your house. You remember, oh, I walked past here on hour four. That resilience, that grit, that possible mindset is going to be conjured up inside of you again because it's imprinted in this area that you are. And so the the answer to that question, I mean, there's, there's so many different answers, but the 12 hour walk is designed as an answer to that question of just say, but what can I do? How can I start training this muscle? How can I actually unlock my best life? Me? I'm not you calling. I don't have 10 world records. I don't have, you haven't done all these things or whatever. I am sitting my life. We're all sitting in our own lives in any given day, yourself included at different points in time of our own journey. But this is something that you can put on your calendar right now, and you will have an outsized impact. The ripple effect from this one day will be tremendously positive. I'd be remiss not to ask, but my friend, are you going to do the 12-hour walk? Are you going to join me on this?
0: I've already been kind of mapping out the course in my head because I've been backing into, I walk five or six miles a day and I've been backing into what my pace is and how far I could go. So I'm already imagining I could go all the way to the beach, walk down the beach for a while and come on back. I think I'll wait till this uh, 98 degree weather is behind me, but you never know.
1: The book comes out on August 2nd, but on September 10th, on September 10th, of course, the 12 hour walk is meant to be done any day. So whatever day, anyone listening, like I said, come to the 12 hourwalkcom just register so that I can send you some inspirational emails, but it's completely free to join and uh, you can do it any day. But on September 10th, so about five weeks after the book comes out, we are catalyzing a worldwide walk day. So a day that we're inviting everyone to say, put, if you're having a hard time picking what day, what date should I do? Or that's a limiting belief for you and it's hard to decide. September 10th, that's the day that we're inviting mass participation. Again, you can do this any day, but there's going to be a mass participation day on September 10th where it's look, you're still walking alone. In the sense you're still walking out your front door with no podcast, no music, no nothing to distract you, but you have the energetic power and the accountability to know that there are thousands of other people around the world on that exact same day, taking on that same walk. We might do some, some fun virtual meetups and things like that before an effort to really cultivate community around that. So uh, if September 10th, without the 98 degree weather where you're living uh, works better for you, I would love very much for you to join us on September 10th. But regardless, I love that you're already thinking about it and thinking about how you can take this walk because I look forward to hearing from you on the flip side of your experience with this and sharing it with your listeners.
0: Yeah. I think now I got to commit to it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Commit. You got to commit right now. Just do it. What, what are you waiting for? Commit. You're doing this, right?
0: I'm doing it. So I didn't want to end this interview without giving you an opportunity to talk about how you and your wife are helping children throughout the world through your nonprofit beyond seven Two.
1: Yeah, thank you for uh, asking that question. It's an, an important one. After my professional triathlon career and really streaming about my Everest, which happened to be Everest, asked myself, what other personal goals do I have? Well, my wife and I, Jenna's not just my wife, but she didn't just design the cover of this book. She has been in the weeds and built everything that we've built, our entire dreams, all of our Everest's, have been built together in the shared dreaming and the shared planning and the shared sweat that we've put into all our different ventures over the years. But at the moment in 2014, when we got engaged and we dreamed up that first world record project, the Explorer's Grand Slam, what we said is. This is only important to us if we can have impact beyond ourselves, meaning, yes, I want to cultivate my own personal curiosity to climb these mountains, but wouldn't it be much more meaningful if by doing that, we also could have sweeping impact at scale. Kids around health, as we all know, childhood obesity has been skyrocketing over the decades in our culture. Kids aren't getting outside. COVID has obviously dampened that from a mental health perspective. And so we have a deep passion of inspiring young people to get outside, move their bodies, live active and healthy lives, equipping them with tools to answer that question, what's efforts, but actually be able to chase that over their lives. And so again, we didn't know how we were going to do it. Uh, To go back to what you said about chapter four, we were not people who ran nonprofits yet yet. That's the important distinction yet, but we learned and we launched our nonprofit in 2016 called beyond seven two. And we started by speaking to school kids in classrooms, something I'm still passionate about. Of course, COVID's put a little bit of a damper on that in person over the last couple of years, but ultimately we've had over a million students enrolled in our programs all throughout the world in various capacities, lighting up their minds through the imagination of adventure, sharing stories in real time, then being able to follow expeditions where I'm sending videos to classrooms and doing zooms and live things from the Drake passage rowboat from the the summit of Everest, but not just as a way for them to voyeur. Oh, let's watch me do this, but to actually say, Hey, I want to just lighting up these kids imagination with what I'm doing. And then very quickly being like, but let's talk about STEM. Let's talk about these curriculums. Let's talk about your goals, your aspirations, et cetera. So anyways, I could go on and on about this, but I appreciate you asking beyond seven, two is the name of our nonprofit organization. And having that impact is really the driving force behind that. It's a driving force behind the 12 hour walk too, extending beyond this. So this is a said at 10 times this podcast. I'll say it again. The 12 hour walk is free. It's for anyone. And it's because I am passionate about taking what I've learned about adventure, resilience, grit, et cetera, and giving that as a gift to the world of saying, Hey, I want to live in a world where more people have a possible mindset. That's the world that I want to live in. And so my efforts has inspire 10 million people to take the 12 hour walk, not as a way of padding my ego or my resume, but just saying like, Hey, the more one of my neighbors, friends, family, community, greater global community are taking on this challenge and evaluating and looking deeper. That's going to have a ripple effect through their relationships, their communities, their creativities, the things that people can bring into the world, a world that's lit up by people with that are inspired, that aren't settling for the comfortable complacency of the four and the six and are really getting outside their comfort zone to grow, to evolve and to thrive. And the 12 hour walk is an an easy catalyst for that shift and that change.
0: So if the audience wants to connect with you, what are some of the best ways that they can do it?
1: Yeah. So 12hourwalk.com is headquarters for all things 12 hour walk. Obviously we'd love if you pick up the book, you can buy the book 12 hour walk in, in any place books are sold online, your local bookstore, et cetera. But the 12 hour walk, that's where you can sign up. If you sign up, get some emails from me, which are just me uh, encouraging you along the way of your path of cultivating this possible mindset. And then of course on social media, you can check me out my personal Instagram. Uh, I'm pretty active on it's at Colin O'Brady. I have my own website, colinobrady.com, but come say, hello, but more importantly, uh, do me, but more importantly, do yourself a favor, commit to the 12 hour walk, put it on your calendar. September 10th is going to be a very exciting day to cultivate the worldwide walk day, but put it on your calendar any single day, but take that step, that inertia. If you're kind of considering it in the moment, take 30 seconds right now, log into the website and pick a date, just putting it on your calendar, just committing to it, will make all of the difference. And uh, I'm excited to interact with many of you as you go through this walk, and we continue to cultivate possible mindsets all around the world.
0: Well, Colin, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It was truly an honor. And what you have done in life and are trying to encourage people to do is really what this whole podcast is about, which is getting them to be intentional about chasing their dreams.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to have you be a 12 hour walk finisher as well. And I can't wait to hear your thoughts and your feedback on the other side uh, of this journey.
0: Got to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that interview with Colin O'Brady. A big thank you and shout out to Colin Scribner and Simon Schuster for giving me the honor of interviewing Colin for this show and helping to release his new novel. Links to all things Colin will be in the show notes at passionstruck.com. Please use our website links if you buy any of the books from our guests because the proceeds go to supporting the show and making it free for you, our listener. Videos are on YouTube at John R. Miles. Advertiser, deals, and discount codes are all in one place at passionstruck.com deals. Please consider supporting those who support the show. I'm at John R. Miles, both on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also find me on LinkedIn. And if you want to know how I book all these amazing guests, it's because of my network. Go out there and build your network before you need it. And I also wanted to let you know that the majority of our guests subscribe to this podcast and give us advice on topics for my solo episodes, as well as recommendations for guests. Please join the Passion Struck Community, you will be in amazing company. You're about to hear a preview of the Passion Struck podcast interview I did with Dr. Valerie Young, who is the co founder of the Imposter Syndrome Institute and the leading expert in the world on this subject. She is the author of The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women Why Capable People Suffer from Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It. I mean, do you want to work for yourself? Do you want to work for other people? Do you want to be in a team? Do you wanna work outside, inside? Do you wanna work in different parts of the country or the world at different times of the year? Do you want summers off? When you think about it that way, you figure out what do you want your life to look like? Then you come up with ways to generate income that's gonna allow you to have as much of that life as possible. Remember, we rise by lifting others. Share the show with those you love. And if you found this episode useful and you know someone out there who needs to discover their own Everest, please share it with your friends or family members. In the meantime, please do your best to apply what you hear on the show so that you can live what you listen. And we'll see you next time. Live life passion struck.